Thanks for listening to Star Lores. If you like the show, please consider subscribing and giving a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also help us make more great content by becoming a patron at www.patreon.com. We would also love to hear from you on social media. You can follow Star Lores on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Enjoy the show, and may the Force be with you. You are listening to the Star Lores Podcast. I find your lack of faith disturbing. Why you stuck up, half-witted, scruffy-looking nerf herder? But I was going into Tashi Station to pick up some power converters. Solo Thotluma Kechaya. Connoisseur of life's pleasures, business owner, father. All such titles belong equally to Jabba Desilogic Tior. This powerful business magnet is not only significant as a touchstone in galactic history, but forms a general template for the behavior and customs of his species in the galactic community though individual huts vary significantly from one another. Jabba's clan had been active and prominent for millennia, dating back to the Old Republic. Desilogic Kaijidic's economic enterprises operated primarily in the galaxy's underworld and included pod racing, selling prohibited substances, slavery, arms dealing, and general graft and no good. Desilogic trace their roots to the planet Nalhada, the glorious jewel in Hatiz, in the Yatub system. The Huts arrived on Hada, as they refer to it, in 15,000 BBY, from their original homeworld, Varl. This planet is somewhat mysterious, not appearing in any Imperial star charts and having conflicting tales as to its annihilation. Hut mythology is the source of the first Varl apocalypse. In ancient days, Huts worshipped two gods, Ivona and Ardos. Like many ancient cultures, these deities were based on celestial bodies, each being a star in Varl's binary solar system. A black hole devoured Ivona, Ardos went Nova burning off its lighter elements and vaporizing all life in the system. The second possibility, and given hut history, possibly the more likely, is that Varl was one of many victims of the hut cataclysms, a series of interspecies civil wars which wrought unprecedented destruction throughout hut space. After fleeing Varl, 
The Huts conquered Nalhutta's indigenous Iwaki through economic and violent tactics. These anthropoid sentients lived on what they called Evokar, Hutta, before the Huts arrived. The technology the first Hut settlers showed to the Evoki so impressed them that they soon traded ownership of their homeworld for technological baubles. The colonization process of Nalhada was repeated on Narshada, the planet's moon, with the native Ganks there. The Ganks adapted to the changes brought on their world by the Huts. It is rare for a non-human to see a Gank outside of their high-tech battlesuits, but they are said to be furry with square faces. Once Hut Dominion was established, Ganks were frequently used as mercenaries and bounty hunters. At one point, after a massacre of the sentient properites, a band of gank mercenaries launched a large-scale conquest of space until stopped by the Jedi Order. Nalhada and Narshada became the twin capital worlds of Hut space, and for 10,000 years was bested only by Coruscant as the center of trade in the galaxy. The Huts governed themselves by way of their Hut ruling council, who ruled from Hutta, and are descended from the planet's first conquerors. As Desilogic has traditionally had representation on the council, they are assumed to be one of the oldest Kaijidics. Originally a world of sprawling, thick jungles and wild seas, the Huts changed now Hutta forever. They conducted massive, long-term strip mining operations all over its surface and built many factories and industrial plants while focusing urban development efforts and transportation infrastructure on Nar Shada. Huts themselves, of course, did not work in the planet's industry, but used a native Ivaki, among many other subjugated species, for physical labor. In a few centuries, Hatta's atmosphere was choked with yellowish, sulfuric-smelling gas and was covered in marshes and pools of stagnant water, not to mention lavish hut palaces. Huts found to be an improvement and much closer to their environment of evolutionary adaptedness. The toxic environment on Hutta suited the huts just fine as their skin was resistant to most corrosive substances. The mucus that covered huts also provided heat protection and resistance to chemicals, and made them unpalatable to some predators. In time, the ecosystem adapted, and those animals, like the camel lizard, with toxin-resistance traits, thrived. In time, a new stable ecosystem took hold on the planet. The philosophy and culture of the huts as the galactic community knows them, did not develop until their emigration to Hada after the cataclysms. The Hatti's word Kajidik perhaps sums it up best, meaning literally, somebody's got to have it, why not us? Budila Hestilic Amura first codified the Kajidik philosophy, which called for massive reforms to the Hutt way of life. They would no longer define themselves by warfare and territorial expansion. Instead, they shifted their values to focus on the accumulation of wealth and economic expansion. 
This shift, combined with the establishment of the Hutt Ruling Council, prevented the horrors of the cataclysms from occurring. Until the Vong evaded Hatta in 25 ABY, the Hutts never resorted personally to large-scale combat. That being said, many prominent kaijudiks, that is, individual leaders, are responsible for heaving gluttonous portions of violence and mayhem upon the galaxy. A less enlightened aspect of kaijudik is its focus on slavery rather than conquest. Huts would thus become one of the leading enslaving societies in galactic history, bested only by the galactic or infinite empires. While enslavement was commonplace, Huts preferred a source of cheap labor was indentured servitude. In this practice, an employer purchased a worker's contract for a long period of time, during which the worker consented to abdicate certain stipulated rights and freedoms. For the huts, slavery carried with it the liabilities of poor quality work and the risk of worker revolts. They reasoned that they would reap more profits in the long run through indentured servitude rather than slavery. Nikto, Trilex, Clatunians, Vaudran, and Gamorians tend to be the species most commonly associated with hut service. It is rare to see a hut away from the homeworld without a retinue of attendants from these species. The horn-faced Nikto and Vodran and canine-appearing Klatuinians, all from the Skilata cluster, were often employed as soldiers. All three species first entered the service of the huts during the Despot Wars, thousands of years before the Cataclysm. Twi'leks were often used as smugglers, advisors, and dancers in hot courts. Many Gamorian boars found work in Jabba's palace on Tatooine. Not only were these thick-bodied, green-skinned, porcine humanoids great security guards, but Jabba believed that they were not intelligent enough to be bribed and lacked the cunning to be used as double agents by his enemy. They often weighed in excess of 100 kilograms and wielded Arg Garak's traditional, not to mention huge, Gamorrean vibroblades that further added their intimidating presence. Gamorrean sows, however, typically traded specializing primarily in rations and weapons, sometimes using the mercenary contracts of their many husbands as currency, and so were not employed in the palace. Although Kajidic philosophy eliminated, or at least vastly reduced, violence between huts, clans were still extremely competitive with one another, constantly undermining the efforts of rival Kajidics. The Desilogic and Besadi Kajidics, for example, had a decades-long feud filled with intrigue and betrayal. Desilogic Kajidic maintained a winter palace on Nalhada, from which leaders such as Jiliak directed galactic business. The climate there was humid and hot and covered with swampy vegetation, the sort of place a hut can really relax in. Jiliak had several siblings, Ebor, Zero, Pazda, and Zorba. When Jiliak became pregnant with a hutlet, he shifted his gender to feminine, which is not uncommon in hut society. 
Tisilogic was known for extraordinary feats of hedonism and debauchery, and a taste for humanoid females, scantily clad dancers, exotic animals, gladiatorial entertainment, dangerous drugs, and live music could all be found at extravagant palaces owned by members of Desilogic. Their pod racing courses on Tatooine and Ando Prime firmly established their presence on these worlds. Desilogic's economic control of these planets became so complete that even corporate sector authorities failed to extricate them. Sins of the Father Huts have many fascinating biological traits, including a recessive gene for hair growth. Of the Desilogic clan, only Zorba and his son Jabba were able to grow hair. Zorba was known for a distinctive braided beard and long dreadlocks, which his friends and family despised. He was the eldest of his clan, and so inherited its leadership around 600 BBY. Desilogic had long since fallen from grace by Zorba's rule. His poor organizational and management skills did little to help the situation. Zorba's ideas for financial success were often huge in scope, ruinously expensive in upfront investment, and ultimately unprofitable. This earned him poor regard from colleagues and further hurt Desilogic's business. Zorba was proud of his family and heritage, although his family did not feel the same about him. He only maintained leadership of the clan through the centuries by being ruthless and proactive towards competition, eliminating anybody who might pose a threat and tolerating no dissent. Zorba's ineptitude peaked around 27 BBY on the obscure world of Kip, where he established a bootleg mining operation. Local authorities eventually tracked him down and arrested him with his contraband gemstones. The courts on Kip convicted and sentenced Zorba to a lengthy prison term. This could not have happened at a worse time for the clan, as public opposition to the dangerous sport of pod racing, one of Desilogic's primary revenue sources, was mounting. The sport lost its wide appeal and associated income after a number of scandals, and Desilogic would have to adapt as the galaxy's economic landscape changed shape around them. Luckily for his clan, Zorba bore several offspring. Jabba was his favorite hotlet, and with Jiliak's help, Jabba would raise the profile of Desilogic to become the dominant Kaijidic from 2 to 4 AB1. Fortunate Hutlet. Zorba loved his son Jabba and mentored him in all the skills necessary to excel in the criminal underground. Betrayal, smuggler negotiation, destroying enemies, and controlling slaves. Having taken his father's lessons to heart, Jabba established his own criminal cartel by the age of 80, practically a child in hut terms. Although huts appear to be all blubber, and sometimes reach such sizes that they can only move with assistive technology, they are incredibly strong. A dense musculature lies underneath their layers of fat. Gastropods, the class of animals to which huts belong, are known for a locomotion strategy that utilizes a massive foot muscle on their undersides. 
This muscle is used by huts to move incredibly quickly when they need to. Additionally, they possess muscular arms and tails, which they use in combat. Jabba himself was known to be quite strong, sometimes making use of melee weapons, and the powerful tails of huts are known to be deadly natural weapons. Jabba also sometimes used his stubby arms to guide foes into his cavernous maw, meeting their death in his digestive system. Occasional infanticide notwithstanding, Jabba, like his father before him, had a sensitive family-focused side. He was loyal to the Dasilogic and cared deeply for some members of his clan, especially his own hutlet, Rhoda. Jabba's arm even bore a tattoo of Dasilogic's crest. When dealing with people advocating on behalf of their family, Jabba was known to show more mercy and understanding than one might assume. If he had stayed true to his trait when dealing with the Skywalker twins, perhaps he could have avoided the skirmish at Karkoon and his subsequent death. Aside from his family, Jabba had good relationships with many business associates, often forming long-term friendships with them. The wrinkled, pachydermoid gunrunner, Efant Mon, worked alongside Jabba for his early business ventures until the crime lord's death in 4 ABY. Despite eventually placing a huge bounty on Han Solo's head, Jabba had a good report with the Corellian. Perhaps this explains Jabba's lopsided response to Solo's eventual failure. He was emotionally as well as financially wounded by the Corellian's carelessness. Jabba met Salacious B. Crumb on a starship journey in which he attempted to eat the Kowakian monkey lizard. Salacious evaded the angry and peckish hut for several minutes. When Bib Fortuna and Bidlow Curve entered Jabba's chamber, Salacious dumped a bowl of liquid on the Major Domos. Jabba found this hilarious and thereafter hired Crumb as his court jester. By way of compensation, Crumb was permitted to eat and drink all he wanted from Jabba's larder in exchange for one vital service, making Jabba laugh once a day. Should he fail in his task, it was understood that Jabba would then eat the monkey lizard. Crumb's comedy consisted of often cruel, slapstick-style practical jokes on other members of Jabba's court. He was universally hated by all, except Jabba. Jabba and many similar huts are extremely manipulative. They often play off the greed and hatred of their hired or indentured hands. Co-workers are pitted against one another, so that none of the subordinates rise up and depose their tyrant. Huts will use other emotions, including affection, to manipulate their social circles, delivering just enough positive reinforcement to keep minions coming back for more. Jabba was a notorious hedonist. He participated in orgies, ate the rarest delicacies, lusted after humanoid females, and bought the most luxurious experiences money could buy. When coming across scenes of gore and destruction, Jabba often appeared joyful. Later in life, he would expand his sadistic appetites, feeding enemies and incompetence or subordinate minions to his rancor and hosting gladiatorial competitions at his palace. The Bloated One In 516 ABY, Jabba discovered an ancient monastery on the Dune Sea. At the time, it was occupied by Boomar monks who built it, as well as a band of raiders. Jabba evicted the ruffians and replaced them with his own employees. As Alcana before him, Jabba and his court lived alongside the monks peacefully. Jabba renovated and made many additions to his citadel. He needed much more space to house his Gamorrean guards, stable a rancor, 
and store a sizable collection of art and mementos commemorating his power. Inside, he would watch with an almost childlike glee many tortures and executions. Once an established black market leader and mature hut, Jabba lost his hair, perhaps due to a stress-related illness. Although he had established a defensible stronghold and a small army of bounty hunters, mercenaries, and thugs, it would be centuries before Jabba usurped Tatooine's reigning hut, Gardula Besadi. One of Jabba's earliest successful business ventures was gun running with his longtime associate, Efant Mon. Just prior to the Clone Wars, Jabba acquired Dredon the Hutt's inventory of low-quality weapons. Jabba knew that there was no market on Tatooine for weapons at the time, so he had to orchestrate a demand for it. He had his enforcers raid a local Tusken camp, posing as Tatooine farmers. This, in turn, caused retaliatory attacks from the Tuscans on the peaceful local settlements and farms. Now the locals had a demand for weapons, if they were to survive. Jabba reaped the profits of his scheming, but Gardula Besadi was not pleased to learn of her rival's success. She planned to remove the demand for Jabba's guns by removing the Tuscans. Gardula hired Ara Singh and a number of other death dealers, ordering them to wipe out the Tuscan camps. This, Gardula hoped, would erase the demand for Jabba's guns. Singh betrayed her plans to Jabba, and Gardula's soldiers failed to root the Tuscans. After the battle, Jabba helped Gardula get back to Mos Espa, and her empire was absorbed by Jabba's, totally defeated. She thereafter represented him in business matters on Nalhada, a fate of which she was very resentful. During the Clone Wars, Jabba profiteered from both sides of the conflict. Though he ultimately allied himself with the Republic, he allowed the Grand Army passage through secret hyperspace routes in the Arcanist Sector, which he was the de facto ruler of by that point. When the Galactic Empire rose to prominence, he decided to maintain good relations with the faction despite the bounty they had placed on his head. In one BBY, Jiliak was killed in ritual combat by a rival hut. Her head was smashed into an unrecognizable mass of mucus and flesh by the powerful tale of Durga Basadi. When Jabba inspected the corpse, he noticed his aunt's hutlet still lived having been inside its mother's pouch. Jabba quickly smothered the infant, ensuring that there would be no potential rivals to his leadership of Dissilogic in the future. Jabba went on to consolidate a monopoly in the glitter stem spice business, the most profitable variety of psychoactive spice. Beings from all walks of life, from freelance musicians to imperial grand admirals, were known to use glitter stim. Like many such substances, it was prohibited and tightly controlled by the Galactic Empire. After proving himself a talented smuggler to both Jabba and Jiliak, Han Solo took on a more dangerous and lucrative assignment, 
smuggling glitter sim out of the Kessel system and past Imperial authorities. The spacer did not meet expectations and was boarded by a patrol ship, causing him to jettison his cargo into space. Unable to recover the spice, Han failed his assignment and Java was furious, prompting the infamous bounty on the Corellian. Though at the height of his power by this time, the stage was being set for Jabba's ultimate undoing. By 3 ABY, Jabba was known behind his back as, quote, the bloated one. Owing to his ever-progressing hedonism, chronic health problems and discomfort haunted him. He had outmaneuvered Gardula, crushed and acquired rival crime lord Cease Fromm's enterprise, and outlasted Prince Zizor and his Black Sun organization. Members of his court, like Bib Fortuna or Narun Kuthus, were frequently caught up in intrigue targeting Jabba. As a result, his already high paranoia, which is thought to be a ubiquitous behavioral adaptation, was driven higher, and Jabba became ever more irritable and ruthless. The Father's Lament I'm taking Captain Solo and his friends. You can either profit by this or be destroyed. It's your choice, but I warn you not to underestimate my power. Master Luke, you're standing on... Luke Skywalker to Jabba the Hutt for ABY. Ifant Mon, now Jabba's head of security, and Mosep Benid, his accountant, were the only people left who Jabba trusted at this time. After capturing Han Solo's would-be rescuers, Ifant had a vision through the Force foisted on him by one of the prisoners. He saw the destruction that was in store for Jabba and begged the hut to release the rebels. Jabba summarily dismissed Mon from service, citing only their lasting friendship as the reason for not also casting him into the pit of Karkoon. Mon's prophecy was correct, and Jabba was killed by a revolting slave girl, and his luxury sail barge, Katana, was destroyed, crashing into the Dune Sea. Salacious B. Crum and a number of Jabba's entourage were also killed during the skirmish. Tatooine descended into a turf war between local street thugs and the power vacuum created by Jabba's absence. A small squad of war droids were also released on Jabba's death, hell-bent for vengeance on behalf of the deceased, and the dusty streets of Mos Eisley were filled with laser fire. Six months later, Imperial Intelligence orchestrated Zorba's release from prison. He returned to Tatooine to be reunited with his favorite hutlet, Jabba. But the gatekeeper at the palace refused him entry. Confused, he slithered back to Moss Eisley, and at a can cantina learned of Jabba's unfortunate demise. Zorba immediately put a bounty on Luke Skywalker, Leia Organa, and Han Solo for their roles in his son's death. It would be decades before the Hutt ruling council abolished this bounty. Then Zorba forged Jabba's will, 
which entitled him to all of his son's wealth. One of these was the Holiday Towers Casino on Cloud City. Zorba demanded formal ownership be transferred to him from then-Baron Administrator Lando Calrissian. Lando negotiated Zorba into gambling for the position, and being an impulsive kind of hut, he readily accepted. Zorba was sure to use a rigged deck of cards for the game, however. Won and became Cloud City's new Baron Administrator. The cards were marked with ultraviolet ink, only visible in the ultraviolet spectrum, and was probably the only way he could defeat a seasoned professional Sabak player like Lando. Cloud City's tourism had been suffering in the Civil War, and Zorba managed to lose a sizable amount of money administering it. To remedy this, he attempted to use bounty hunters to snuff out the competition on Hologram Fun World, and negotiated with Imperial authorities on Bespin. Despite eventually achieving the environmental reclamation necessary to improve conditions on Cloud City, and making off with loot from the rival amusement park, Zorba still ran a deficit. He shortly returned to Tatooine with a scheme to turn Jabba's former palace into a high-security prison. Zorba ran foul of Imperials again and was eventually fed to a Sarlacc. Despite being a voracious predator, the bulk, slime, and perhaps hair of Zorba did not agree with the Sarlacc's digestive system, and it vomited him out into the sand that night. Eventually, Zorba managed to somehow regain control of Dasilogic Kaijadek. This was short-lived, as the Hut ruling council ruled Jabba's will a forgery, and Zorba was stripped of all his assets and finally faded into obscurity. A few years later, Nalhata, the glorious jewel, experienced the most widespread environmental destruction in millennia. The Yuzon Vong species conquered the planet as part of their campaign in the galaxy far, far away. An untarnished stretch of 15,000 years of hot dominion over the jewel was broken. The experience of displacement drove the huts to return to warfare, and a resistance formed, eventually succeeding in driving the invaders away from Hutta. It would be over a century before the jewel's biosphere was returned to its pre-Vong state. Although the galactic spice trade was crippled following the Vong War, the spice business and eminence of Hutta was re-established by 130 ABY.
Locally owned and operated, Ren Trans Shipping. We can take your freight anywhere, galaxy-wide. Oh, my mistake. It appears Rentrans has actually been replaced by our newest sponsor. Use Shizor Transport Systems for all your delivery needs. Our vast network is able to get any package, anywhere, galaxy-wide. Join XTS Prime and get free same-day shipping. Access to F XTS Prime Hollow. Install our patented droid technology in your home Guri X. Everything you need from Aurek to Zarek. Shizor Transport Systems. Shizor Transport Systems is not affiliated with Black Sun. For all your underworld needs, please contact your local Vigo. Welcome aboard the Millennial Falcon. Uh, this one might be a little bit shorter because... Um, well, I can neither confirm nor deny the, the contents of our cargo hold right now. There may or may not be, um, let's just call it spice. You know, some nutmeg, <laughs> maybe some cinnamon, some some red pepper flakes, perhaps. Yeah, we may have some, uh, let's call it spicy cargo. <laughs> <laughs> that's right, that's right. So anyway, uh, some spicy cargo. You know who's spicy? Mara Jade. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent transition. Because <laughs> she's got red hair. Yes. There you go. Uh, so Mara Jade, if you don't know, if you're not like a, a huge Legends person, is, of course, Luke Skywalker's future, future wife. But they, she first sort of met him at Jabba's palace uh, right before the Battle of Carcoon. She was infiltrating the palace. I forget what the specific imperial intrigue was. But she used to work for the Empire. Yeah, for at anyone the time she was familiar. part of the, the, em yeah. the Emperor's Hand, which was a, a, a group of Sith-trained assassins, basically, that the Emperor used. So that's when she first she actually first met him, which is interesting. Right at Jabba's death, that's sort of the old cast of star wars is dying and now the right right in its place the legends cast all those uh big characters that are only in extended universe Mature. properties yeah. start to appear like right at that's, return of the that's Jedi. cool it's like a nice transition yeah yeah um another thing is the guy the i shouldn't say guy with the huts i guess it's <laughs> should we just touch on that really quick <laughs> uh so huts like many gastropods are uh, genetic hermaphrodites, meaning they have a fully f functioning set of male and female sex organs. And in particular, no, not only can huts uh, reproduce sexually by, you know, regular copulation with yes. another with another hut. And in fact, this is um, a big storyline of like. It's a series of books, actually, yeah. <laughs> revolving around huts. Uh. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's there's actually a comic line. Do you remember what it was called? I was making a joke. No, no, I it's... did not know this was real. This is a this <laughs> I, is a boba. I thought they were like hut romance novels. No, no. Or... This is a, well, yes, it is a hut romance. <laughs> like a hut on the cover, like a shirtless romance. Yes. Yeah, it's um, it's uh, a Boba Fett graphic based <clears throat> graphic novel, and there's um, I think it's like Jabba's cousin or something, and another hut. And uh, this is interesting, too, because uh, a male identifying hut and a female identifying hut. But, of course, there's no genetic difference. They cho Huts choose how to yeah. uh, manifest their gender. So they, they present as either male or female for all the huts that we've seen. Or 
Zero kind of rides the line in the middle there. <laughs> He's a little bit uh, Truman Capote, yes. as, as George Lucas insisted. Him. Yes, <laughs> which is a funny story. Uh, but yes, like you like you said, huts tend to pick one or the other, present as one or the even though they may reproduce asexually as well. Correct. But here's sort of why, why I brought that up, and is sort of my theory on hut gender is if you're a hut who's like into reproducing sexually, which in this uh, Boba Fett comic there is there's a hot romance and one of the huts the female identifying hut gets pregnant by the uh the male identifying hut and but so other times like jabba he he's identifies as male and only identifies as male but he has had kids yeah but as far as we know he never had any romances with any huts. other huts so yeah. he probably uh reproduced asexually which we know other huts can do like his dad also reproduced asexually. So technically, um, Jabba, I think, would be an exact clone of Rhoda of, and his father. Of, of uh, yeah, Rhoda mm. and. Yeah. Because that's. Rhoda is Jabba's son and that, Jabba's gra- that, uh, father. Yeah. Now, when did the concept of <clears throat> um, sort of this asexual, non gendered species of the huts? Was it that always George Lucas's vision for the huts? It's or? fairly. It's fairly. I old. don't think it was George Lucas's vision because George Lucas's original vision for the huts was like a Wookiee-like species. Yeah, oh, but right. it's it's yeah. older than recent memory for sure. Like yeah. this is pre-Disney. Pre. It's, yeah, oh, okay. it's it's the mid nineties. The, uh, it's as late as the mid nineties. There might be stuff before Prior. that. Yeah. yeah, but I know there's a book that sort of details. Uh, Jiliak the Hut and Jabba's relationship and in that one Jiliak actually changes his gender from male to female after getting pregnant huh. so there's it seems to be like maybe that's a custom in hut society where like you'll just change your gender if you if you have a baby but not always because Jabba never changed his yeah gender. right like they it so it's it's really interesting the way huts seem to play with genders. gender which makes sense considering their their sex organs their gender would yeah the way they do gender would look very different from the way humans do gender right yeah Yeah. sorry i think there was something you're trying to get at with the uh hut relationship there that we kept Uh, i was just interesting how um there's that was a sexual relationship that uh produced offspring right but we also have also have asexual but you can also they can go either way yeah Uh, in general biology in (laughs) in general in biology it's much better to do sexual reproduction because you add diversity to genetics because parthenogenesis what we're talking about you're just making a copy of yourself so you just copy all your uh, mutations and stuff and you get genetic bottlenecks and it can be very bad crippling like one even one little cough can wipe you out or something like that I mean, it's good that they can do both, though. Like, exactly. like they did have a near ex- extinction level event with the cataclysm. So, if you can reproduce on your own when it's not viable to you reproduce know, sexually, I'm glad you brought that up because that puts me down a, a really fun tangent. <laughs> There's actually a species of lizard in in Brazil somewhere. Okay, that went through the same thing. They had a genetic bottleneck, but it ended up wiping out all the males. So this species of lizard yes, has reproduced this. only by parthenogenesis for like really? tens of thousands of years. Wow. Okay. And there's only females of it. I want to read about this now. And they yeah. can't ever get the male lizard back, right? Yeah, they're extinct. They're literally extinct. And now they're cloning themselves as females. I wonder, c- could you like, is there a way to genetically ma- manipulate to 
like add the chromosome necessary to like the male human intervention yeah yeah like a you know you'd think there would be because the 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 main difference genetically between males and females is that males just have less genetic material you just snip off the end of that x chromosome (laughs) (laughs) it's that simple just get a pair of micro i'm sure that's how crispr works right (laughs) (laughs) yeah interesting anyways and and so it's also cool we'll get it we'll get into a little bit more on the hot cataclysms and the despot wars hopefully in our xenoarchaeology episode but that how hot society really changed after the the cataclysms they were really like a warlike species they were personally actually going warriors and fighting each other as well like waging huge cataclysmic wars Uh, but then this guy this uh, pacifist named Pudilla, <laughs> which I think was not uh, uh, an accident. Yeah. <laughs> Pudilla Hestalik Amura. That sounds very... Does he have statues everywhere? <laughs> yes, I'm sure. He... So, so that's funny that um, that's sort of the, the hot version of, of the Buddha. <laughs> yeah. Is some sort of like a wolf of Wall Street. <laughs> I have a <laughs> better way Trump for you. <laughs> Exactly. We no longer shed blood. We make money. <laughs> um, so there's also another weird uh, thing about hot continuity is that in some of the early Marvel comics, Jabba the Hutt was depicted as being some weird, um, like, f- sort of furry, strange-faced alien. And then that was sort of, there was sort of an unofficial retcon that that was Mosep Benid, his accountant, who sometimes traveled using uh, the alias Jab of the Hut for, for some weird reason. <laughs> that's uh, that's an interesting workaround there. So, yeah, I, I so if you have know. those old Marvel comics, <laughs> that's that's Moset Benid, not uh, not Jabba. Jab of the Hut. Um, there's also a drink called a Gardala. So. If if you're enjoying it, like Gardula, Gardula, yes, <laughs> or is it called Gard? It's it's as in Gardula. That oh, okay, that. okay. Uh, I don't like where this is going. <laughs> so every time we say disillogic, I think in this uh, episode, like drink, do hot drink this drink? No, this is like um, I think it's served at the oh, at the, like a cantina the, theme park. Oh, in oh, real life. oh, in real life. Oh, okay. Oh, no, actually. I thought this was like an no, in-universe drink. It is an in-universe drink. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the Gardala was a beverage that Jabba Tisilogic, uh would occasionally share with Boba Fett. <laughs> Andrew, so that Boba sounds very would, would cannibalistic. Take, <laughs> Boba would take his helmet off to drink, to get drunk with <laughs> Jabba. That's interesting. He used a straw. <laughs> <laughs> I also get very strong slurm vibes from this. If you, <laughs> you, you remember Futurama <laughs> episode? Yes. Uh, anybody? It's like slurm. Yeah. yeah. Um, so something that like the puppet operators of Jabba, which I think Jabba is a great creature effect that sort of holds up. He's very fun to look at. Uh, one of the operators, and I think it was like three people had to move Jabba around. There was somebody for the face i think and somebody for the arms and somebody for the tail and they said that jabba had kind of like a real presence on set like it almost felt like they were actually there with a giant slime monster who wanted to feed them to his pets (laughs) uh the sound effects of like jabba's limbs moving and 
very I think, slimy. I think his mouth sounds were made by running a hand through a bowl of uh, mac and cheese casserole <laughs> and a muddy towel scraping along the inside of a garbage can. <laughs> Those Foley artists. I want to like... do a whole podcast on every single Foley effect in Star Wars. <laughs> if they're all like, sound as horrible as that did. <laughs> a muddy towel. <laughs> Yuck. Um, in the in the special edition also when Han sort of steps behind Jabba they could the CGI guys back then couldn't find out how to make that not look terrible yeah just for reference um when they had the initial footage for Jabba they didn't know how they wanted to portray Jabba yet so they had a an actual actor stand in right. a human actor obviously yeah so Han in the shot walks around Jabba which you can't do with Jabba having a long tail yeah so anyway sorry go on yeah and so then to, to sort of fix that problem this is the second time we're talking about george intervening on behalf of the huts <laughs> which is interesting maybe a pet race of his <laughs> maybe <laughs> so he's it was sort of his creative decision to make it that look like jabba's gets his tail stepped on and he sort of does that like he raises yowl. Up a little bit yeah does a little bit of a yowl and then Zero the Huts, uh, which I guess was Jabba's brother, I think. Yeah, yeah, Jabba. yeah. Zero is Jabba's brother. I think <laughs> that's what I said anyway. And uh, and so he on George Lucas's insistence there too. Zero's character was modeled after Truman Capote, so he has like that weird accent, high pitched ac- affectation. I guess it's not quite an ac- accent, but it's something. And he's also uh, a few huts wear clothes, but zero didn't he wear like a bunch of hats and stuff in the he, episode? Like, like he's, he's a bit of a fashionista. F- feathers and has like he has really cool tattoos around his eye. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, doesn't but, he have a boa or something too at some point? Yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so huts obviously don't are are naked, and uh, you know they're body positive. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, but zero just like that fashion. Occasionally, there's like you might see a hut depicted in armor or something in fan lore. It, I mean, it, back when they were warriors and stuff, it would make sense that they wore protective yeah. equipment. Granted, though, their musculature, like you mentioned in the episode, and it's also resistant. They're also resistant to blaster fire, which also. is like a standard blaster doesn't. Yeah, so maybe they maybe they didn't really hut. wear armor and so. were fought naked mm-hmm. like the uh, Celts. Actually, there's there's also. This is one of the the things I had to draw from the episode, but there's actually a form of ritual hut combat called called the old law. That's like the only way you're allowed to break kaijedic is by invoking the old law, where you essentially duel another hut to the death. What's the uh, Klingon version? <laughs> the Klingon version. <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> but it exists. I'm sure. Yeah, I don't yeah. Know. I, there's I so many you. reasons to kill <laughs> for Klingons to kill other Klingons. That's just like every day. <laughs> um. So anyway, that's how Jiliak died. Is was from the the old law, and and lost in a duel. Yeah, and uh, she at that time lost in a duel. Hmm. She was uh, her head was caved in. It's actually quite brutal. Pretty the graphic. The, yeah. des- the description of what happens. So not only does the rival hut just it just describes like smashing her head over and over again until it's just like a big 
mass of, of <laughs> mucus and phlegm on the floor. But then Jabba goes to inspect the corpse afterwards and sees a little quivering <laughs> and notices that uh, Jilliac's hotlet was still alive in, oh. in her pouch. And Jabba takes it out and smothers it. <laughs> that is yeah. that is a horrifying story. Thank Jabba you for sharing that. Jabba is ruthless. ruthless. He's a mean man. Huts are scarier than they. They are. They than seem. Seen. They seem goofy, but and like fat and slow and like. But they're deadly, man. They're, they're deadly. Yeah. They're yeah. ancient. And uh, they're very uh, mafia. Yeah. Yes. You know, I hear some like. Sopranos music going on <laughs> in the background. You yes. got yourself a gun. Well, that's what like the whole cry. Uh, what is the high? The Hut ruling council is very modeled after like the mafia crime lords, right? High table kind of stuff going yeah. on. Yeah. So although the they, family, yeah, they, there is like some yeah. bureaucratic structure to the Hut ruling. Sure, council, it's not right? one but for you one. You wouldn't think it's like. I, I got a little bit into it, and it's like... it. <laughs> you went deep, eh? Yeah, I did. It, it seemed a lot like the Senate or something. It was just like lots of voting More political and stuff. Yeah. But uh, anyway, there's a Star Destroyer on our tail. I think we're going to have to dump that cargo and... Uh, I don't know what you're talking about. Prepare to be inspected. <laughs> uh, may the forks be with you and uh, with us as well. <laughs> you are listening to the Star Lores Podcast. Just wanted to let everyone know what's happening here at the Star Lores podcast. Star Lores is now on Discord. If you would like to join the Star Lores Cantina Discord server, you can find a link in the description or on any of our social media accounts. Reach out with a DM or email. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching the Star Lores podcast. Go ahead and give our page a like and send us a message. You can also email at starlorespodcast at gmail.com. Send us your fan art, Star Wars collections, or fan fictions, and you may even get a feature on one of our pages or even the show. Don't be afraid to offer corrections or add to any of the topics that we discuss on the show. We are also on Patreon, so if you want to help us pay the bills, as well as get a few awesome perks like bonus episodes, access to the private Facebook group, or the VIP section of the Discord server. Head on over to patreon.com forward slash starlores and sign up for as little as one US dollar a month. And finally, make sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcatcher app or YouTube, as well as sending us a five-star review on iTunes. This really helps us reach a wider audience. Enjoy the rest of the show.